What's up, kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Welcome to the first episode of the number one ranked show where you're going to hear from the biggest stars in college football today on deck, Mac Brown for a fantastic conversation. But we are also in the middle of the NFL draft, or at least leading up to it. So that's what I want to talk about. In less than two weeks, the NFL draft will be upon us. And as college football fans, we'll celebrate many of our guys fulfilling a lifelong dream to be selected by NFL teams. But this is a college football show, and we know team fit matters as much as individual talent does. We also know each year the NFL draft is a function created to reward the worst teams with the best available players. That's why a guy like Trevor Lawrence is all but assured selection by a franchise who lost more games last season than Lawrence lost across his high school and college football careers combined. In college alone, Lawrence was 34-2 as a starter. Wins might not be a quarterback stat, but it doesn't hurt to have a guy labeled as a winner as your signal caller. It's why many folks are rooting for Mac Jones, Trey Lance, or if you're like me, Justin Fields' selection to the 49ers. That team at least played it in a Super Bowl two years ago and boasts a head coach many believe is an offensive mastermind on par with Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, and Andy Reid. It's why many folks, from BYU fans to college football casuals, are already begging the New York Jets to change up the get-down or just, you know, select a non-quarterback. They want, we want, Zach Wilson at a club where we know he can succeed. And the Jets have shown year after year that they ain't it. Wilson is the kind of guy who drove for DoorDash to pay for gas money. Then he went 18 for 18 for 317 yards with four touchdowns against Western Michigan, only to find out two days later he needed to have surgery to repair a torn labrum in his shoulder. It's the kind of injury that threatened to end Drew Brees' career before he became who he is. In 2019, Wilson threw an interception against Toledo and then ran down the pickpocket for the tackle, only to break the thumb on his throwing hand. Doctors put pins in the thumb and threw it into a cast. By the time he was released to play five games later, his thumb had atrophied, making his grip weaker on the ball. He played the last four games of the season anyway. And last year, he led BYU to an 11-1 record in a pandemic. The Cougars finished number 11 in the AP poll, their highest finish since 2009, and their first one-loss season since 1996, when BYU head coach Kalani Sataki was just a BYU fullback. Look, there are a few good reasons not to select Wilson at number two. Like his competition over the last three years wasn't that great. Many of his best games have come against teams we all believe BYU should stomp a mud hole in and walk dry. He can't escape his injury history and those questions of durability. And yeah, we have very little idea whether he can withstand the harsh glare of the New York media, especially coming from a place like Provo where they are decidedly pro-Wilson. But those points feel moot because it ain't up to us. The Jets have declared their intentions for a quarterback. They traded Sam Darnold to Carolina, and they have all but drooled over the prospect of selecting Wilson with the second overall pick. If that is indeed what the Jets decided to do, Mr. Wilson's walking into a job tougher than keeping Dennis the Menace on the straight and narrow. And we haven't done a whole lot of picking on Wilson, and I think that's for good reason. We acknowledge he ain't the Jets' problem. Allow me to show you who he is. Do you remember this guy, Darnold? Do you remember when folks were saying with a straight face that he should have been the number one overall pick in 2018? That he was good enough to flip the Cleveland Browns into a winner? 
that he was far and away a better prospect than Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen? That New York radio legend Mike Francesa said that New York City would one day belong to Darnold? Hey, bro, I think we can all appreciate the vote of confidence, but it was never happening. And it's not because of Darnold. Since 1996, Pro Football Talk pointed out the Jets have fielded 12 starting quarterbacks who have led their teams in pass attempts and starts for a season. And only four of them have finished their stints in New York with winning records at the end of their respective seasons. Their names, Neil O'Donnell, Vinny Testaverde, Brett Favre, and Mark Sanchez. It means no one since Sanchez has come out of New York a winner. Not Geno Smith, not Ryan Fitzpatrick, not Josh McGowan, and not Darnold. In fact, those 12 Jets QBs are combined 180 and 220 over the last 25 years. And it seems the Jets were at least ahead of the curve in this one way. They'll ship a quarterback out just as soon as they don't believe he's any good. A trend the rest of the NFL has caught on to. From 2009 to 2016, there have been 15 quarterbacks selected in the top 10. None of those quarterbacks are still playing for the teams that drafted them. During this offseason alone, we've seen the Rams and Lions punt and then swap on their first round draft picks at quarterback. And both of those dudes were taken number one overall. We've seen Dak Prescott, a quarterback selected in the fourth round, wind up in a perfect storm raining down four years, $160 million on his head, like he's Magic Mike at Magic City. We've seen the Patriots re-up with Cam Newton and Drew Brees leave a job that is likely going to be won by Jameis Winston, a.k.a. Mr. 30 for 30, or Taysom Hill, a.k.a. Go-Go Gadget quarterback. The team in Washington told Alex Smith, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, just so they could see if there's any Fitzmagic left to rub on a franchise that's won three division titles during this century and who counts Kirk Cousins among its best franchise quarterbacks ever. We've seen Terod Taylor signed again, and now we're likely about to see Terod Taylor start again. Jalen Hurts so good that Wentz is in Indy, while Jimmy Garoppolo is staring down the Niners, drafting his replacement. The Chicago Bears named a QB1 none of their fans asked for, and the Mississippi Minshew is about to get pushed out by a Clemson quarterback who is a dead ringer for Ronnie Bass. What I'm saying is the QB carousel is a lot, and it's moving at a speed that was once unheard of. So you can see why this is as aggressive a year to draft quarterbacks as we've ever seen. It's also a nod to the modern emphasis put on selecting a QB in the first round. In 1984, Boomer Esiason was the first quarterback selected with the 38th overall pick. It feels like football would have to be a completely different sport for such a thing to occur because it is. We've removed helmet-to-helmet hits and we've entered the age of analytics. We've come to appreciate to the nth degree how much it matters to have a great quarterback, but we don't seem to emphasize the one variable that matters most in the NFL, the management of individual franchises. The Jets had Sanchez, who took them to two straight AFC title games, only to be remembered for the butt fumble and being carried by a defense that was awesome. But since 2006, the Jets have started 11 quarterbacks and four of those are first rounders. And just so you know, who we're dealing with, those 11 dudes are Brad Smith, Kellen Clemens, Eric Ainge, Sanchez, Greg McElroy, Geno Smith, Taj Boyd, Bryce Petty, Christian Hackenberg, Darnold, and James Morgan. And don't kid yourself, there was a moment when all of them could play. 
But somehow Sanchez is the only one of those whose moment did not come to an end when he put on the green and white, and they washed out quickly. After all, the Jets' all-time QB stat leader for starts is still Broadway Joe. You haven't heard too many people picking apart Zach Wilson's game for several reasons, but at the top of the list for me must be because we all expect him to start his career as a New York Jet. And I can confidently say it ain't him, Jets. It's you. It's like dating. You got to fix yourself before you're good enough for anyone else. Now, I know the reason many of you are here. Some of you like me, some of you love me, and I appreciate you, but I'm here because I want to talk to Mac Brown. So let's hear what Mac has to say about rebuilding North Carolina football and recruiting the Tidewater region. North Carolina head coach Mac Brown, welcome to the number one ranked show with me, RJ Young. Thanks so much for being here, coach. Thanks, RJ. Thanks for having me on. I want to start with a picture you posted to your Instagram today where you got on the Carolina Blue Air Jordan mids. How'd you feel with all that swag on your feet? RJ, we are so lucky to have Jordan brand shoes here. And, and we feel like we're more special than the other people that have Jordan brand shoes at Michigan and at Oklahoma and at Florida because we got Michael. When you got MJ, those shoes are really special. And then when they send them to me right before they put them on the market, the players all scream, they, they just scream, drip, drip, man, you dripping, coach, as I'm walking out on the field. So it took me a while to understand that, but now I know it's a good thing. Well, and that gets at something that I've always marveled at about you. I grew up an Oklahoma fan, so I'm familiar with your time at Texas. But you've always yeah, had I don't a really like that to start with, but that's okay. <laughs> You've always had a really great way of identifying with your players. And I'm, I got to point it out, you turned 70 in August. How are you continuing to keep up with us? RJ, when, when a lot of people said I was too old to come back and coach, mm. and I got that, I understood, because there's a, a lot of 69-year-olds that probably couldn't be coaching right now, so I, I get it. That, that, but they said I, I couldn't coach because there's a communication gap and a generation gap, and and, and they kept talking about the generation gap. And what I've learned is it's, it's not about the generations. It's about communications. And I came back because I love the guys. I came back because I want to be in their lives and mentor them. And I, I just had a staff meeting a few minutes ago and talked to our staff about uh, our jobs or to help these guys through all their, the tough times. We, we got COVID. We got social injustice. Uh, we got hunger. We got pressure on them. We've got a job where we've got 120 players and 11 play at a time. So there's, there's a lot of guys that are, are depressed and, and, and uh, have bad morale on the team because they don't get to play. So those are things that I get up with a purpose every morning to try to help. And, and uh, especially as we get older, RJ, you learn helping somebody is the, the best thing you can do in your life. It's the best reward. It's the best feeling. And, and I had older coaches help me. So at this point, I want to help college football. we got some things we need to clean up, and I want to be part of that. I, I want to help young coaches have an experience like I've had, but mostly I want to take the prized possession of every parent uh, by taking their children and helping them grow and helping mentor them and, and helping them teach me. When, when we, we were going through all the social justice stuff, I learned so much. I didn't even realize I was white privileged. Hmm. Uh, but, but I am. I, 
I got money. I, I've never been stopped by a police officer. I've never been shot at. I've never been yelled at. I've never been arrested. Uh, that's white privilege. So when the, the guys are talking to me, they said, Coach, why don't you talk more about race? And I said, I, I'm not around racism. Our hmm. program doesn't have any racism. In, inside our walls, inside our bubble, everything's perfect. If the world was like our little world, we wouldn't have any issues. But you guys need to tell me what you need said. Because I can say what you can say when you can't say it. Hmm. You may not get drafted. You might not get a job when you get out of here. You, you, one of our assistant coaches of color said, Coach, I'm not LeBron James, man. I can't say it. I said, okay, tell me what to say. I'll say it. And, and they said, well, you'll get in trouble for saying it. No, I, I said, I'm going to say it because it's right and it's fair. And I think, RJ, that's the reason it works. I'm very direct with our guys. I, 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 I listen and learn. I have a purpose every morning, and I'm loving what I do. And so many coaches right now are miserable across the country because they're worried about getting fired, and they're worried about getting beaten. They're worried about what somebody's going to say about them. They're I, I got lucky that I was with ESPN and ABC for five years, and I learned that the media have hard jobs. you got to figure out something that people don't know that you can talk to them about. Mm. And, and that doesn't mean you're trying to get me fired. It doesn't mean you're after me. You're trying to get somebody to listen to what you say. So I, I'm in a much better place right now than I've ever been in coaching. Well, Coach, you mentioned your players coming to you with their hopes, their dreams, their concerns. What are some of the things that you have learned from this generation of player that is important to them? Well, I, I learned that uh, um, a person of color might be afraid to let their children drive a car, hmm. which is awful. I mean, it's unheard of. I learned that when I go in a store and a, a person of color goes in a store that they might watch them because they're afraid they're going to steal something. They're not going to watch me because I'm white. I'm white. I've learned when I go to dinner with, with a friend and it happens to be a black friend uh, that they're going to hand me the check and they're not going to hand the, the, the check to the, the, the black person because they don't think they have money. I, I love what Emmanuel Acho is doing with his podcast. Uh, and and I've, I've learned by listening to Emmanuel about, he, he used to say, he went to St. Mark's and people would come up to him and say, you talk good for a black guy. And, and they were trying to be nice and positive. So I've learned that RJ, all of us need to be more sensitive and we need to embrace people's differences. So I've learned to do that. Uh, even if, if you're telling me something you believe in that's totally opposite than what I believe, that's okay. Maybe I can learn from you. Maybe I disagree with you, but that's okay too. And I'm also learning that uh, uh, I'm learning to have more fun. I didn't have enough fun when I was here before at North Carolina. I didn't have enough fun at Texas. I was always wanting to win the national championship. I still want to do all those things, but I want to have fun doing it. And I think it's a, it's a lot better. We, when we played SC in the national championship, I had a mom call me and say, you don't have enough fun on the sideline. And I said, Mom, I'm working. <laughs> I'm busy. And she said, yeah, but Pete Carroll's working too, but he smiles hmm. and he laughs. So if I was going to have my son play for somebody, I would want to have my son play for Pete Carroll because he laughs and has more fun than you do. And it really got my attention. And then I went back in my hole at Texas and I worked really hard and I did the best I could do, but I never enjoyed myself. And right now I'm enjoying the game. I'm enjoying our coaches. 
And I'm really enjoying our young people. I, I, I look forward to seeing them every morning and, and they pick me up and, and they're making me younger than, than I've ever felt. Well, it's certainly showing up, especially when we look at your last two recruiting classes, some absolute studs coming through there. And I want to touch on those kids, but first I wanted to ask you about the importance of recruiting what I call the Tidewater region, what I think many people call the Tidewater region, where you went up there, you got Tony Grimes. You've been able to recruit there historically. Your first stint at North Carolina had a bunch of dudes from that region that came through North Carolina and helped you win a bunch of football games. What do you think it is about that region of this country that is so good at putting some of the best athletes we've ever seen into college football and into the pros? Well, there's great football in that area. Dre Bly is one of the best players I've ever coached. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. He's from there. Dre taught me 757, which is obviously the the uh, area code there. Uh, two up and two down, which is Virginia, has some great players. So we actually count the Tidewater like it's in state. Hmm. And in our staff meeting a few minutes ago, I was telling Dre, can you recruit anybody that's not 757? <laughs> And he said, oh, Coach, 757 is good, man. They're special up there. So there's a tremendous amount of pride. There's great football. And then when you get a guy, we had Daz Newsom from there, who's a great receiver. Uh, we've got Cam Kelly, who's an outstanding safety from the 757. But then we get Tony Grimes, who's a five-star defensive back. And it gets the attention of all the other kids because they're going to wonder why did Cam Kelly come and why did Tony Grimes come and, and what's happening in modern day, RJ, you need to be the cool place to be. And if people see you having fun and your your players are your best recruiters, if, if Cam Kelly and Tony Grimes are having a blast, then they're gonna tell the other kids, come here, man. This this is this is cool, this is fun. And and what you're seeing is real. It's not uh, they're not making this stuff up uh, because I want us oh, we've got four things we want to do. I want us to have more fun than any other college football team in the country. Hmm. And it, it sounds facetious, but it's really true. I want us to graduate every young person that comes here because that, that'll help them later on more than anything else. I want us to win all the games because that, that's a goal that we have. Getting the college football playoff, win the ACC, got to beat Clemson, who's really good. They're better than most people. So that, that's a, a huge task. But uh, And then win the national championship. And then fourthly, and, and it's a big part of this, I want each young person to be better prepared for life after football when they get out of here. And that's something that, that we can do. And I do think, RJ, at an older life, older age, I can look back and, and see the, the goals that I have for these young people that maybe when I was 45, I was so worried about everything else that I said those things, but I'm not sure I spent as much time doing those as I needed to. And, and that's why I feel like I have an opportunity to help these guys. Now. Coach, you mentioned Tony Grimes a couple of times, and I wanted to ask you about him in particular, because his story for me is remarkable. How do you deal with a kiddo that wants to reclassify in football, show up on campus in August and can play meaningful snaps for you? How did you make that work academically and then on the football field? Well, the, you go back and look at COVID, and the only thing about COVID is everything that we thought was real is not, and everything that we think is the norm is not, 
And the only thing that's the same about COVID is change. So North Carolina decides not to play high school football in the fall. They're going to play in the spring. Virginia decides not to play high school football in the fall. They're going to play in the spring. So Tony and his dad and mom call us and say, can we reclassify? And we start looking at it. The credit should really go to, to Dion Glover, Tony's dad, because he's the one that, that looked at it. He felt it coming early enough that he had Tony take the needed classes in the summer so he could enroll. And Tony's a tremendous student. So all of that worked. And then, of course, I've got the concern that we've, we've got a senior in high school that, that's coming in here. He's, he's not old enough. He didn't go through spring practice. He hadn't been through summer workout. I don't know if he's been working out. Is he going to come in here and be homesick? He's never been away from home. And he's very mature. He's very smart. His dad understood that we, we started him slow and worked him in on some special teams and did some other things. But then he starts the last four games, and he's going to be one of the best cornerbacks I've ever coached. Well, he's one of many studs you got on this team. And I want to ask you about those guys in particular, guys like Desmond Evans, right? And guys like Eugene Asante, because you lose Chaz Surratt, you lose De'Ami Brown, you lose Daz Newsom, you lose the best tandem backfield I think there was in all of college football last year. Who are some of the guys that you were looking to, to, hey, it's your time now, step up. We need you to go win. Well, you said at first is Eugene Asante. I'm so proud of him. He backed up Chaz Surratt, who will be a high draft pick. And didn't play a whole lot, but he was on all special teams. He kept his mouth shut. He's a uh, he, he's sending a great message to all you young people out there that are the second team. Be prepared when you step up. Then Chaz opts out, and not only does Eugene Asante jump in and play as his backup, uh, but he starts and leads the team with ten tackles um, and and plays great. So he he's going to be great for us on defense. He's a guy that steps up. You mentioned Des Evans. It hurt him last year that we didn't have spring practice. We really weren't sure what we were doing in the summer with COVID workouts. Uh, and then he, he he got sick in the fall. He didn't have COVID, but he, he had something else that kept him out for a couple of weeks to three weeks. But now he's 6'6". He's 265 pounds. Uh, he's having an outstanding spring and about to be a force. Uh, so I, I think he'll, he'll be really, really good. We get Bo Corrales back. Uh, from a, a lower body injury last year at wide receiver. He should be good. Josh Downs stepped in in the bowl game uh, and, and played really, really well when Daz Newsom came out. So he'll be the slot. We think he's really good. Uh, and then we've got to get somebody on the other side to step up at receiver. But we've got four or five guys with a chance. And I think the biggest question, Mark, RJ, you just mentioned, who are those running backs? Mm. It's It's hard to replace – two of the best running backs that have ever played. They, they started talking about them being like that combination. We played it at the SC back in 2006, and, and those two guys were as good as anybody in the country. Uh, so we lost 4,000 yards of production. So you've got guys like uh, British Brooks and, and Josh Henderson coming back. Uh, a real good addition for us was a graduate transfer from Tennessee, Ty Chandler. He's fast. He's tough. He's played four years at Tennessee. So he's played against Alabama and Auburn and, and Georgia and Florida. He's not going to have big eyes when we go to Virginia Tech in that opener. And then you've got some young ones like uh, DJ Jones, who is really fast. Uh, Elijah Green, 
uh, Victor, who played with uh, the Jets, his son, uh, and Caleb Hood, a true freshman that's coming in. And then we've got another freshman coming in, uh, Kamara Edmonds, uh, which was, is at uh, Havelock, and he'll be here in June. So uh, we've got enough guys at receiver, we've, but we got to replace Deami Brandon-Desmus. we got enough guys at running back, and you're not going to replace the two running backs we had, but we've got to be good. And we've got to get everything we've got out of those guys. So the next six days of spring practice, we've really got to try to separate our receivers and our running backs so we can know who we've got going into summer practice and the offseason stuff in the summer to get ready to play in the fall. The one guy that we haven't mentioned so far is the one guy that I think nobody has any questions about at all. That's quarterback Sam Howell. The first question I have for you about him is, do you think the comparison to Baker Mayfield is fair? Now your Oklahoma's coming out. Hey, right? hey, hey, I, hey. I see that. I see you got a Permian jersey. I got to think of uh, Roy Williams, my Roy Williams from, yes, from out in Odessa, uh, Permian. And, and we go back, we lost uh, uh, Cedric. But when you, you start looking at, 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 at what Ced Benson did, he was one of the best to ever play. Oh, my God, I love Cedric Benson. Um, yeah, I think that comparison's good. I, I've also compared him to Colt McCoy because he's so accurate. But Baker Mayfield did an outstanding job in high school. He, he won at Tech. He won at Oklahoma. He wins the Heisman. And, and, and now he's doing wonderful things with, with Cleveland. And I think he's built like Sam. He competes like Sam. Um, and, and Sam's accurate with the big arm. Uh, Sam doesn't say a whole lot, but he's learning to lead better and and, and he's a guy that leads because he's a hard worker and he's a great student. He's really smart. He's so dedicated. I think Sam's in this office more than I am. So I, I see him over every day. I, I ask, he has no hobbies and he's finally got a girlfriend, but uh, I asked him last year at Valentine's day, what you got a date? And he says, yeah, Madden. Uh, I get along with Madden really well. Madden and I are going to do good tonight. and I'm going to beat him and then I'm going to be happy. Well, to follow up on that then, right? I've always thought of this, this third year as being the most important for many of these guys, not just for the NFL, but from a maturation standpoint. I look at a guy like Sam Howell and I say, this is the most important year of his career because so much is on him. Do you think that putting all these expectations on that quarterback, even knowing what he has accomplished, is fair? I do. And he, he can handle it. He grew up expecting to be the quarterback at North Carolina. This is where he wanted to be his whole life. He saw himself being here. So it's not pressure to him. It's pride to him. And it's what his expectation was. And he wants to be a first-round draft choice, which I think he will be with a, with a good year. Uh, he wants us to win all the games. We've got a chance to be really good. You know, this is, this is kind of a new world for us. It's a new role. Last year we were fifth in the country early, and we go to Florida State and lay an egg. Uh, so we weren't ready to be the fifth team in the country, but we got better at the end of the year. We beat Miami, and then we lose to A&M, who's fifth, and Notre Dame, who's second. So we're we're kind of climbing around in that neighborhood a little bit. Uh, but but we're in the top ten in a lot of preseason polls. And uh, I've constantly talked to Sam and our guys about that's really cool and that's really nice, but you're going to have to prove it. And, and congratulations to you. You've raised the standard. Now live up to it. And, and I think that's the, that's the way we're practicing. These guys are practicing hard. They're competing against each other. It helps Sam that we're getting better on defense because he sees a really good defense every day. 
and it helps our younger receivers that, that need to come on, that they're playing against the Tony Grimes and Kyler McMichaels and Storm Ducks that have, have played for two or three years now, and they're playing bump against them, and they're pushing them and shoving them. And uh, so we're the, when, when you can practice against really good competition every day, it has a chance to make you better. And, and Sam being such a great leader. Sam's our best leader on offense. Jeremiah Gimmel is an outstanding linebacker. He's our best leader on defense. And, and those guys have lifted everybody else up. Coach, you're the elder statesman among those coaches now with Roy Williams announcing his retirement just weeks ago. What are some of the things that you learned from Roy? And what things have you been able to impart to Hubert as he takes over this role? Yeah. First, RJ, I, I love Roy. Mm. He, he, I grew up with him. He and Coach Smith here. So Roy and I worked together, and Coach Smith only spoke four times. Roy and I spoke uh, 71. So we got to spend a lot of time together in that first year. Coach Smith said, when you start winning, you won't have to speak as many times either. So uh, I got it. Uh, Coach Smith, Coach Guthridge, who was Coach Smith's right-hand guy, and Coach Williams, all had very similar philosophies, and they taught me so many things. Uh, they, they're always positive about their program, but they're always together. It, it, it was one, and, and it was like one heartbeat. And that, that North Carolina basketball family is really, really strong, and, and they kind of build a bubble around the, their program and kept everybody else out because they knew what they were doing. They knew what they wanted to do. They knew they were going to be good. Coach Cuthridge used to say when we'd lose some great basketball players, he said, Coach Smith didn't graduate. He's coming back, so we're going to be okay. And, and Roy was the same way. And the other thing they taught me, which is really interesting, and this is a, a lesson I've, I've lived with, and, and I think it's really helped me in coaching probably more than anything else. I asked Coach Williams one time, why do you guys win so much? What's the secret? Give me, give me something you do that's really special. And he called it PT. They called it playing time. And he said, we all have to do a great job of making sure that when your, your starter gets tired and your backup is going to be better for 10 plays than your starter, you got to get the starter out and make sure that the backup has 10 plays of playing time. And that's when you're good. Give your, give your great player a rest and he'll be better when he comes back in. And you've got to find the number of plays that the backup can play better than the starter when the starter's a little tired. And that makes so much sense because we all have to have depth. We create depth to get better for the next year with roster management. We create depth so we don't get tired in the fourth quarter. This year, Notre Dame and uh, Texas A&M beat us down in the fourth quarter because we got we, we just got – uh, they were more physical than we were. We got tired. We gave out. So we got to play more people. We got to get stronger. But then the last part of that is you have fewer injuries when, when everybody's fresh that they're in the game. And you have better team morale when more guys are playing. So I think as much as anything else, and then Coach Smith and, and, and Coach Guthridge and Coach Williams were always so humble. They always bragged on the other team. Uh, and, and that's something I learned from them with, with that question. So Bubba Cunningham, the athletics director, comes to me a week or so ago when Coach quit, and I'm at practice. I know Bubba's on the basketball committee. He's supposed to be in Indianapolis. He's walking over to me, and I'm thinking, this is strange. And then when he says, you know, I, I got some bad news, 
I'm, I'm thinking somebody's hurt, somebody's dead. I mean, it's awful. And, and then when he told me that uh, Coach had decided to retire, it really got me. Mm. And I think it got me because I know how much he loves coaching. I know how much he loves basketball. And, and they didn't finish like he wanted to. And I wanted him to finish happy. And I wanted him to have, be at a great point. But he said a few things. He, he said that right now, uh, me and my style is not the guy that needs to be here leading this team. And I've got such great respect for him because he felt like it, it was time for, for change. It was time for somebody else. And then he stepped up for Hubert. Well, Hubert's a great friend of mine. I love watching him play here when I coached here before. And uh, Everybody told Hubert he couldn't play here. And he's one of the best players we've ever had. Everybody told Hubert he couldn't be a great pro, and he was the number one draft choice, and uh, he hit 44% of his threes. So every time you tell Hubert he can't do something, he's going to jump up and show you. And now some people said, well, they shouldn't have hired assistants here. They, they should hire a head coach, and they bring, should bring in more experience. Hubert hasn't got enough experience. You, you better look out. Hubert's going to take off, and, and, and he's going to kill it. He's smart. He's got a great personality. The players love him. He's a tremendous recruiter. He's been here for a long time working for Coach Williams. So he'll take what Coach Williams, Coach Smith, and Coach Guthridge taught him, but then he's going to be him. He's going to be himself. And, and he'll continue to do a great job recruiting this wonderful brand. Uh, but you look out, Hubert Davis is going to be a name that when all this is finished, we're all going to be talking about what a great decision they made at North Carolina. And Hubert Davis is one of the best coaches around. I appreciate that, Coach. I, I really do, especially the part about playing time because having depth in this sport is becoming so necessary. And when I look at the teams that are winning consistently, they go top to bottom. And that leads me to this question. How do you convince your kids to continue to stay on? I mean, I'm going to quote you back to yourself. You know, kiss your babies at night because they might be in the portal tomorrow. How do you convince your kids that Carolina is a place where they need to be for the rest of their lives? No, it, it's it's such a great question, RJ. And our coaches asked me earlier this spring, how do we coach now with a portal? I yell at him, mm. he's leaving. And I said, number one, get guys that want to be here mm. and get guys that want to graduate from North Carolina. And that's why we recruit a footprint from, from D.C. to Atlanta. I, I'd love for the parents to be able to drive and see them play and the high school coaches see them play. And they grew up loving this place, so they're less likely to leave. Secondly, get good enough players and play them all. Find a role for everybody that you possibly can. If they're playing, they're a lot less likely to leave. And then still you're going to have some leave, but, but we've approached that differently too, RJ. We've said if you're not starting and you want to start and the player ahead of you is much better than you are or if you think that you're better than him and we don't, then and you want to leave, let us help you. Hmm. Don't get angry. Don't have bad body language. Don't don't get mad about it. Let's fix it. And if you want to go, we're going to help you go. So we'll have that very uncomfortable conversation. It's not working for what you want it to work for. We'd love for you to stay, but you're going to play a third of the time. You're, you're not going to beat out the guy right now in front of you. You're behind a great player. And we're getting much better players every day. So if that's the deal, let's find you the right place to go. Where do you want to go? Let's mm -hmm. have that conversation. I'll call the coaches. I'll talk to them because we've said we want to have fun, 
and we want you to be happy. And if you're not happy here, well, let's don't be mad. Let's don't pout. Let's don't get angry. Let's find you the place where you can be happy. And then we'll, we'll get you in the portal and help you go wherever you want to go. And that's what we've done. And, and right now it's really working. We have happy players. I appreciate I you saying you got, that, Coach. RJ, you got to be transparent, and, and you can't fake it. you, you got to tell them the truth. And that's the other thing. At my age, I can be really direct. <laughs> I can be one-on-one -on -one with them. I used to laugh at Coach Paterno and Coach Bowden and say, you all can say anything you want because they think you're old enough. Nobody's going to question you. So at least I'm at that point now. I'm going to say what I think, and I really don't care whether people like it or not. I appreciate that because that is ruling by love and not by fear. And that's one of the things that I abhor in the game. I really wish people would stop doing it. And you wanted to have an uncomfortable conversation with your players makes me feel better about the kiddos because they're always my priority. I care so much about these kids that get five years to play for. I want them to have fun. I want them to play as much as they can. A guy that I'm pretty sure you would have chained down, though, would have been Vince Young. And I heard this story about the Vince Young rule you had? Something about a bus? Can you tell me that story? Uh, I'm not sure which story it was. There are a whole lot of Vince Young stories. So you, <laughs> you, you get me started, and then I'll tell you if it's true or not. So you had a story about the bus leaving on time that you had two times. That was the Ricky Williams story. That was the Ricky Williams story, okay. Yes. Ricky had that California laid-back background, and the first month I was there, Ricky was late for everything we did. So I brought Ricky in and said, listen, you're selling all the tickets. You're the superstar. So I, I'm not going to run you off, but i got to have you show up on time. And then I said, Bruce Chambers was the running back coach from Dallas Carter that was sitting there with me. And I said, so here, here's my deal, Ricky. If you're late again, I'm going to fire Bruce Chambers. He's your coach. And Ricky said, I, coach, I, I love Coach Chambers. I said, I know. So if you love him enough, show up on time. That, that's all I want to do. And he says, uh, I'll, I'll try. I'll do the best I can do. So then what I did, I decided that I would sit in my office until they text me and told me that Ricky was on the bus. So we made sure that Ricky was never late because the bus wasn't leaving until I came down. Now, we also had a, a time where I told Sally, my, my sweet wife, I said, sweetie, we, we're, when that bus leaves, that bus is leaving. So if you're not on it now, get your cab. Get Uber because we're going. And then we're at Oklahoma State and Ricky's on the bus. We're all on the bus. And I said, okay, let's go. We're driving off, and the president of the university is walking out. I didn't see him. He missed the bus. We get to the stadium, and, and Sally comes up and says, you left the President Faulkner. And I said, got me on time, man. Bus leaves when we say it's going to leave. So Ricky was the only one that could slow that bus down. Now, our event story, RJ, is we're, we're in 2005. We're, there, there's some music that's being played in the locker room. And there's some words in it that, that – I didn't think that the, the women should hear and our president should hear. So I, I bring Vince in and I said, Vince, you need to help me, man. I can't, I can't have that music being played with our president coming in or my wife or the coach's wives or, or the female trainers or the, 
and and he said, well, coach, if we can't use those words, then it's got to be instrumental. And I said, what a great idea. We'll be the only team in America that plays instrumentals in pregame. So he played instrumentals, and to this day he laughs about it, but then, of course, he sang all the songs. (laughs) Anyway, but they weren't played there. We also had a a deal with Corey Redding, who was our great defensive end, and Corey said, we got to take our music with us on the road. Because I told him, if you, he, he said, we've got to have this music at home. We can't play without music. And I said, well, you don't have any music on the road. So he says, take music on the road. So we're playing Missouri. And we take, we hire a band or, or we get a, a big speaker. We get our own music. The guys have their music. So on the sideline, it, Missouri in pregame, we're actually playing our music. We're blasting it. And the kids are loving it. Well, I get reprimanded after the game by the Big 12 because I didn't know, and they didn't tell us. I don't think there was a rule that you couldn't play your music on the opposite sideline when you're on the road. So now they have a Mac Brown rule that you cannot take your music with you on the road. So we, we had a lot of things we learned at Texas together. <laughs> North Carolina head coach Mac Brown thank you so much for spending some time with us here today on the number one ranked show with me RJ Young coach I miss you wish you much success in the upcoming season and I hope you guys get out of the rest of the spring unscathed and injury free thanks so much thank you RJ and, and good luck to everybody I hope we're we're nearing the end of COVID and and it's it's been so hurtful we've lost lives we've lost jobs we've had hungry kids uh, it's it's been such a tough year. Let's all be fair because the social justice has been difficult too. But let's all pick it up and, and let's try to make 2021 our best year ever. And thank you for having me on. I've had a good time. And that was Mac Brown, who is awesome. I really enjoyed that conversation with him, and I'm glad that he answered my Tidewater question in depth, which led me to this thought: Who are the top five athletes ever? to come out of the Tidewater region. And for the purpose of this conversation, it is the 757. So yes, send me all of your hate mail on that. But if I'm going to talk about the Tidewater, I need to include folks from Norfolk, from Virginia Beach, from Hampton, and from Newport News. And I want to start with Chesapeake because Alonzo Morning comes in at number five for me. And just taking a look at his accomplishments over the course of his basketball life is staggering. Starting with, he's got a ring. He was a part of that 2016 that won an NBA title. He also led the NCAA in blocks in 1989. And that's all before first-team All-NBA, second-team All-NBA, seven-time All-Star. And then we're talking about a guy who won National High School Player of the Year before getting to play for the legendary John Thompson at Georgetown, a six-foot-10 center, the last of the real stalwart fives in the NBA and perhaps the most memeable man of all time. My thanks to you, Alonzo. I use that gif all the time. And then at number four, Gabby Douglas, the first black woman to win a gold medal representing the United States in the 2012 London Olympics. She's part of two world championship teams. And to think about that sort of an athlete coming out of Newport News when I'm so used to talking about basketball, football, baseball is ridiculous. Like what is in the water in the 757. At number three, Lawrence Taylor. All right, so it's making sure that I was right in checking this. 
But there have only been two players on the defensive side of the ball to win NFL MVP. And the last one to do it is LT. Also went to UNC. To wear that number 56 is to say that you are playing the position like he played the position. And ain't nobody played that right side, outside linebacker position like LT, who quite literally changed the game. We're talking about the invention of the left tackle as a pass blocking position because LT would come screaming off the edge and ruin you. Just ask, you know, Joe Theismann and RIP to his leg because. All right. So at number two, we could have gone any direction here, but I got to give it up to AI. You know, Allen Iverson, not just changing the way that I watch basketball, but he brought hip hop to basketball. I started braiding my hair because Allen Iverson braided his hair. I wanted to fish bones like my man AI and to know that he also went to Georgetown and he became who he did in Philly. Just ridiculous for me. I really love him. He means that much to me. And the dude could have been a first round draft pick at quarterback. He was that talented an athlete. And then at number one, for yours truly, Mike Vick, right? The video game. Like, 2004, Madden comes out, and you can't play 04 Madden and play with the Falcons. It's illegal because Mike Vick was that dude. Coming out of Newport News and then ending up at Vatek, which, you know, is not exactly blue blood. And yet, and still, we're talking about Vatek being one of the best programs in all of football while he was there. And then go into the NFL Go do what he did with the Atlanta Falcons. Come out of prison and then go do what he did with the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, that talent does not exist except within him. And when I think about what I want football to be, I think about Mike Vick, who is perhaps the most entertaining athlete that I've ever seen in my entire life. So there are my top five. Alonzo Mourning, Gabby Douglas, Lawrence Taylor, Allen Iverson, and Mike Vick. I would be very eager to know who you would have in your top five of that 757 Tidewater region, let me know. Hit us up at number one show on the Twitters, on the Facebooks, on the IGs, and you know where I am at RJ underscore Young. And since we are talking about the Twitters, I want to take on some of your questions. Y'all were awesome about responding to our call for questions you want me to answer here on the number one ranked show. And the first one comes from at Dabo underscore King, who asks, will Oklahoma finally breakthrough and play for a natty? The short answer is absolutely. All right. This is the year. This one right here. I've been talking to assistants and former players all off season. And they said, RJ, get your tickets for the national championship game this year. This team at Oklahoma is the team. Spencer Rattler at quarterback, Jaden Hazelwood, Marvin Mims at wideout. You have dudes on the defense. You got a play caller I love on the defense. You know that the Big 12 belongs to Oklahoma. It's about not just getting the college football playoff because they've shown they can do that. All right? They can do that. What they need to show is that he can win a dang game in the college football playoff. And, you know, if you bring up the 2018 Rose Bowl around yours truly, you're liable to see me go just a little bit berserk. It's not a, it's not a fond memory unless you're a Georgia fan. But then again, I get to tell you all about Devontae Smith and, you know, second half of that game and how that ended. No, this is the year for Oklahoma to do what they do. Next question comes from at Jake Keller, 1999, excuse me. Why is there so much Justin Fields hate? No way Zach Wilson is better than him, right? I think it's that I, 
believe that Justin Fields is the best player in this NFL draft. I've said this before. I will continue to say it. Fields, for me, is the number one overall pick. I get that you really like Trevor Lawrence, and for me, it's always been a Pepsi taste test. You like Coke, you like Pepsi. They're both very, very good. Here, we rather enjoy Dr. Pepper. But I'm going to take me some Justin Fields here because they don't make them big and fast and strong like that dude. It's one thing to be six foot three. It's another thing to be 225. It's quite another to be able to launch a football 70 yards over the mountains. But when you throw in a 4-4-4-40 yard dash for a quarterback, what are we talking about? Draft my man Justin Fields, all right? I already hear you. RJ. 40-yard dash does not matter when we're talking about quarterback. But it don't hurt none, all right? Go get the best athlete to play quarterback for you. And for me, Justin Fields is that guy. All right, time for one more question. This one comes from at in Norman Jr. What player do you think will have a breakout year that no one sees coming? All right, I don't know about no one sees coming because if you are the kind of person that listens to this show, you like to see everybody coming. But my answer for you is Brian Robinson, tailback at Alabama, who spent the last four years playing behind Najee Harris and has never had more than 96 carries in any one season. And knowing just how prolific Najee was in that offense last year with 251 carries and one of the best seasons and careers, honestly, that we've ever seen from a tailback, I'm buying all the stock I can in Brian Robinson and what he's going to be able to do for Alabama. We'll see how much Bill O'Brien keeps of last year's offense, but I am sure Brian Robinson Jr. is going to feature in it. All right, that is our show. Congratulations to all of us for making it through this first episode. I hope that it was surreal and fun for a lot of you, but please hit us with a five-star review, right? Leave us a review, like write what you like and don't like about the show. Give us some ideas about what you want to see in the show, who you would like me to talk to next, and we will see y'all in a couple of days. That is it for us. Deuces.